You're listening to an Ono Media Podcast. Good morning, and thanks for joining me for Rise and Crime, your morning caffeine hit all about crime. I'm Mama Jules, and let's head to Hollywood, where a requited lover has been sentenced for murdering his former romantic interest. And you have to go back to Valentine's Day of 2020, where Amy Harwick was happily spending the love day as a single and successful therapist in Hollywood. Amy's friend, Cleopatra and Amy, spent the morning together walking the Hollywood Hills with Amy excitedly acting as the tour guide as she pointed out her neighbor's houses and landmarks. After lunch with Cleopatra, Amy's day wasn't complete. Adorned in her velvet dress, her leather jacket, and rosary necklace, Amy attended a burlesque show. During the show, she went all vintage with a Kodak film camera. You know, the kind you have to get the pictures developed? And she was snapping happy pics with her girlfriends all night. Amy and her friends from the burlesque show grabbed some tea at Nomad, and then they decided to call it a night around midnight. When she weaved her way back into the Hollywood Hills and pulled into her driveway, she sent one last text to her friend, Sarah. It said, send me the pics on the green couch. Clearly, she had enjoyed a wonderful evening. And sadly, that would be the last. So who is Amy Harwick? Well, she's just a small town girl. She was born in 1981, and she grew up in Lansdale, Pennsylvania, after her parents adopted her out of the foster care system. Always strikingly beautiful, her past had kind of helped her maintain that need to help people. And here's how I like to do it. I describe people like this. I feel like they're Labrador puppies. They're so adorable and always wanting to just help you feel happiness. They want to be with you. They want to show you love. Well, that seems to be Amy. She was like a Labrador dog. And even though she didn't always fit in while growing up, she would find those that she could make feel better and those that she could love. When she was 20 years old, she moved to Hollywood and she started the grind. She worked as a Playboy model and then a dancer in order to fund her college education. She eventually graduated from Cal State Poly, and then she went on to earn a master's degree from Pepperdine University in clinical psychology. She then went on to become a licensed marriage and family therapist. Her work took an interesting twist because she was in Hollywood and also because she had worked in the adult entertainment realm. So she began advocating for those with trauma from working in that industry. And that led her to regularly appear on podcasts or on TV. And she even had her very own YouTube channel where she would discuss sexual health and relationships. She authored a best-selling book titled The New Sex Bible for Women, A Complete Guide to Sexual Self-Awareness and Intimacy, and it was published in 2014. She also joined forces with the Pineapple Support Organization. So this is where she could advocate for women working in the adult entertainment industry, and she was especially interested in the wellness of their mental health for those who worked in that industry. Well, Amy also had some really unique interests. She had purchased her own coffin and she explored taxidermy. She was just trying to perfect the hobby. 
She also had what some said was a very entertaining dance act that involved eating fire. Well, during the building of her career in 2017, Drew Carey, yeah, the whose line is it anyway guy or the price is right guy, that Drew Carey, well, he was attending a glitzy Hollywood party. And despite stars dotting the room, Drew's eye was drawn to the bartender, Amy. See, she had moonlighted that evening working the party, and then their paths crossed. When he finally asked her out for their first date, they did such a Southern California thing. They went to Disneyland. Drew told 48 Hours that he was excitedly telling everyone at The Price is Right that he had met such a great gal. Well, the romance continued, and in a wicked twist of fate, he introduced her to his Price is Right's audience on his Valentine's Day show of 2018. He said she was that person that you could tell everything to. Unfortunately, the two broke it off later that year, but Drew said it was amicable and that he always respected the way she represented womanhood. He called her an unapologetic champion of women. All right, before Amy really blossomed, before everything that I just told you, she found Gareth Pursehouse. And this was back in 2008 when Amy was modeling as she was forging her way and she bumped up against Gareth, who was working as a photographer. Friends told CBS that Gareth was always taking pictures of her, but they also said the two would disappear at times. And they started finding that behavior kind of strange because it happened too often. And then they realized the relationship had turned abusive. And in those times of disappearing, Amy was stepping away from everyone, letting the physical abuse heal so that questions couldn't be asked. For the next few years, friends begged Amy to leave Gareth. But Amy's Amy, and she was always trying to help others, and she couldn't give up on helping Gareth. That was until 2012, when she finally called it quits. But Gareth wasn't having it. He would send Amy photos and love songs that he felt explained their relationship. And then at times he became obsessive and he wouldn't take no for an answer. During those years, Amy had filed two separate restraining orders against Gareth just to get some sort of protection from his aggressive behavior. As Gareth festered over the lost relationship, Amy moved on until her safety was shattered in 2016 when someone broke into her home. The thief took photo albums and wiped her computer memory clean. So that's a really bizarre burglary. Amy couldn't prove it was Gareth. She had no cameras and there was really no evidence. But according to friends, she knew in her heart it was him. She would also have random and somewhat weird reviews on her podcasts and on her book and then on her YouTube channel. And she also felt this was Gareth. He was just trying to sabotage her career. Now, for eight years, Amy successfully stayed away from Gareth until January 16th of 2020. At the last minute, it was totally a last minute decision, Amy had decided to attend the annual X-Biz Awards. That's an adult film industry gala. And Gareth happened to be there. He was working the event as a photographer. Well, Amy remained calm when she saw him. Gareth, not so much. He lost his cool and he began yelling in her face, telling her that she had ruined his life. 
he was so obsessed, he was reciting text messages that dated clear back to 2012. At some point, his screaming turned into crying, and then Gareth crumpled to the floor. After composing himself, the two talked for about 45 minutes with Amy trying to help Gareth heal from the clearly still raw wound. And then they went on their separate ways. And now we're back to the driveway at 1 a.m. on February 15th of 2020. As Amy was climbing the stairs to her third floor bedroom, she had no idea what awaited her. At about nine o'clock on that Valentine's night, Amy's roommate had retired early and He just happened to be jolted awake by what he thought was a plate breaking. Now, he reasoned in his kind of sleep stupor that Amy had just dropped something on the floor, so he just drifted back to sleep. But it wasn't a broken plate. Instead, Gareth had shattered the glass to the French door of the home. And then Gareth hunkered down, patiently waiting for Amy. When she climbed those stairs, Gareth attacked Amy. Amy's roommate was again a jolted awake by the sounds of the violent struggle and by Amy's screams. The screams were loud at first, and then after he heard loud thuds that he believed were bodies slamming to the floor, the screams became muffled, almost like a hand or an object had been placed over the mouth of who he now was assuming was Amy. Well, in the chaos, Amy's roommate couldn't find his phone. So he just began yelling, hoping to frighten Amy's attacker into leaving. When he realized that wasn't going to work, he ran to the courtyard. He scaled a tall metal fence, cutting himself in the process. And then he beat on a neighbor's door, but no one answered. The attack has been going on for about five minutes now. And so he runs across the street and he tries another door. Again, no one answers. He then sees someone walking up the street and he begs to use the pedestrian's phone to call 911. By this time, 10 valuable minutes have gone by and all her roommate can do is wait for the much needed help to arrive. Well, back in Amy's bedroom, Gareth actually was spooked by the ruckus that Amy's roommate had created. In his frantic animalistic need to kill Amy, He drags her body to the balcony and he hurls her over the iron railing to the concrete 20 feet below. And then he flees. When EMTs arrived, they found a barely breathing Amy with deep marks on her neck. And this led authorities to, at first glance, believe she had been strangled before being thrown off the balcony. Still clinging to life, paramedics transferred Amy to Cedar sinai Medical Center but she died at 3.26 that morning. Now, authorities upon entering her home find a scene of violence. There's blood on the bedroom door. Amy's rosary beads are scattered throughout the bedroom as her necklace had been torn from her body. And then there was a surprising item they found, a syringe filled with clear liquid. And it didn't take long for friends to immediately point the finger at Gareth. And police eagerly accepted the lead. Within days of the murder, Gareth was arrested. But then, he was almost immediately released on a $2 million bail. And then, two days later, he was arrested again. And that time, he was formally charged with first-degree murder, burglary, and lying in wait. Which, that lying in wait part, that's an enhanced charge that made him eligible for the death penalty. 
Well, police held Gareth in jail without bond while they built the case that he, in fact, planned and executed the murder of Amy Harwick. Kate, remember the syringe? Well, it was later determined that syringe was filled with nicotine, which can be lethal when administered in that dosage. And then there was the DNA. Investigators collected and tested DNA that was found underneath Amy's fingernails. And they declared that the DNA was a one in septillion match to Gareth. His DNA was also found on the French doors that you may remember were the point of entry for Amy's killer. That evidence, along with friends and family that testified that Amy was terrified of Gareth, led to Gareth being convicted of her murder on September 28th of this year. Now, during the trial, defense lawyers tried to convince jurors that Amy had actually climbed over the railing and fallen to her death in an effort to just get away from Gareth. Okay, see, defense lawyers admitted that Gareth broke into her home on that Valentine's night. They're saying it was a desperate attempt to just talk with her. But they then said... Amy was afraid and caused her own death by trying to get away from Gareth. But that didn't quite match up for jurors who heard the DNA testimony. They also heard the roommate testify about the violent struggle that happened in the home. And they also heard about the violent past relationship between Gareth and Amy. And then there's one more thing. If she scrambled to her own death and then accidentally fell over the balcony, Why did she have strangulation marks on her neck and bleeding in her eyes? Well, it took jurors two days to find Gareth guilty. And they also found him guilty on the special circumstance of lying in wait. He didn't testify in his own defense. But in this trial, the judge would then go on to determine the sentencing after reviewing the trial and then after hearing the victim impact statements. Well, last week the 45-year-old was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. One victim impact statement that stood out to me was from Amy's roommate. He says he suffers from PTSD and he remains paranoid and worried every day that Gareth will return to harm him. Well, let's remember Amy for more than her occupation, which was a big part of her life, but there was so much more. Her family said she loved to return to Pennsylvania to participate in the yearly cookie baking day where she could see all of her family and also her extended family. The visit, of course, had cookies, but they also had cheesesteaks and pork rolls and Lebanon bologna. And then she gravitated to music and her favorite artists were Depeche Mode, Christina Perry and Tori Amos. She would dance anywhere, including on stage and also with her mother in the kitchen. And finally, upon her death, the family asked for no flowers at the funeral. Instead, they wanted people to donate to the Rock to Recovery Fund. So this was a new one for me. I hadn't heard of it. It's an organization that aids in healing with the power of music. And they try to heal those who have suffered from addiction or from trauma or from mental health challenges. So even in her death, she was committed to healing others. And now, an update to the pilot who purposely crashed his plane for likes on his YouTube channel. 30-year-old Trevor Jacob grew up experiencing and participating in extreme sports in Mammoth Lakes, California. 
honing his snowboarding skills. He went on to qualify for the 2014 Winter Olympics in Russia when he was just 21 years old. His outing was pretty good. He made it to the semifinals of the men's snowboard cross, but he failed to qualify for the finals when he lost by mere inches to fellow American snowboarder Alex Diebold. When all was said and done, he finished ninth in the Olympics. And despite whatever you're going to think of Trevor after this story, that's a pretty awesome accomplishment. But like I said, there were other extreme sports, not just snowboarding. He also did surfing and BMX racing. He did motocross and mixed martial arts. So basically, this is a guy who doesn't sit still. He even spent time traveling with Travis Pastrana and his Nitro Circus. So they would do these stunts while dirt biking or base jumping, and then they would televise the escapades. Well, all of these experiences led Trevor to create his own YouTube channel that had over 100,000 subscribers in 2022. He would create content that included him skydiving or flying or snowboarding. And the flying part, that's the important piece here. Trevor owned a TaylorCraft BL65. Okay, you guys, I know nothing about planes. Let's be completely transparent here on this podcast. But here's what I learned. This particular plane is a 1940 vintage single engine. It's small. There's two seats and it's super light as far as planes go. Well, on November 24th of 2021, Trevor logged a flight plan with the Lompoc Airport documenting that he was going to be flying alone to the Mammoth Mountain Range with the purpose of spreading the ashes of his friend, Johnny Strange. Okay, so we'll take a little detour here. Johnny Strange, he also filmed extreme stunts and he died in a wingsuit crash in the Swiss Alps. So that's what he said he was doing. He was spreading those ashes. Okay, like I told you, this plane is old and the staff at the airport kind of raised concerns about the health of the aircraft with Trevor, but he said it was all fine and Trevor went up anyway in the small plane. Except... That day, he was wearing a bulky skydiving parachute, which is pretty clunky and cumbersome in the size of this kind of plane, like very big for the small cockpit. There just isn't tons of extra room for that kind of setup. Now, in the plane, he had several mounted cameras because he would film for his YouTube channel often. And here's how the story went when it was initially presented. During the flight, the engine stalled. And Trevor, who was conveniently wearing a parachute, jumped from the plane and parachuted to the ground. He did suffer some minor injuries when he touched down. And the plane, that was now pilotless, crashed in the Los Padres National Forest. And no one was harmed from the crash except the plane itself, which was significantly damaged. Trevor immediately hiked to the site of the crash. He collected his cameras from the plane and he filmed the disaster before hiking out of the forest. Two days after the crash, Trevor finally reported the mishap to the National Transportation Safety Board. He was ordered by the investigative team to turn over his video footage and to also share all information about the crash. But he told investigators he didn't know where the plane was. The FAA then got involved and asked for the same information. He also told them that he didn't know where the plane was. And then, like magic, the aircraft disappeared from the forest. 
About a month after the crash, Trevor uploaded a 13-minute video to his YouTube channel titled, I Crashed My Plane. In the video, Trevor never shows the instruments of the plane after he claims the engine quit working. He also doesn't show himself contacting air traffic control or even trying to restart the engine. And before bailing from the plane, Trevor does not explore emergency landing possibilities. Well, the video went on to be viewed 1.7 million times before being removed from YouTube. See, people were skeptic. And that skepticism was because they believed Trevor was just pulling off a publicity stunt. Well, six months after the crash, the FAA released their findings that determined Trevor had abandoned the aircraft solely for the purpose of filming the forced crash. His pilot license was revoked and he would not be allowed to reapply for another for at least a year. And... Felony charges were filed against Trevor by the U.S. Attorney's Office out of Central California. They claimed Trevor destroyed and concealed evidence with the intent to obstruct a federal investigation. Well, Trevor went on to plead guilty to the felony charge. And in May of this year, he took what some are calling a sweetheart plea deal. He was initially facing up to 20 years in prison, but the plea deal drastically reduced the potential of time he would serve. Now, during the guilty plea, he admitted that he and a friend had used a helicopter to airlift the damaged aircraft from the forest. He then said he cut up the plane and disposed of the pieces in various locations over several days. And during that time, while he was cutting up the plane and getting rid of the pieces, he was telling investigators he had no idea where the plane was. But as part of the plea deal, he admitted he intentionally crashed the plane to gain notoriety and to make money. So this guilty plea was back in May, like I said. And finally, Trevor was sentenced just last week for his crimes. Judge John Walter sentenced Trevor to six months in prison. He is scheduled to start that prison time in late January of 2024. But the story is not over. Just a few days ago, Trevor put up a new video titled, I got my pilot's license back, but I'm going to prison. Now, even though he put lives on the ground at risk, the FAA has granted Trevor a temporary license as his application for his reinstatement license works its way through the FAA application system. His bragging on that recent video has several pilots annoyed with the granting of his temporary license and basically with his attitude. Comments from pilots on his YouTube video complained about his disgusting actions and his non-apology attitude. One commenter was frustrated that he crashed a plane that is considered a collector's item in the aviation realms. And then another said that the FAA should be embarrassed by issuing this man-child a temporary license. They say he's making a mockery of the FAA and then others referenced a similar pilot who is also a YouTube content creator. His name is Trent Palmer. Okay, apparently, Trent also had an incident that caused him to lose his pilot's license back in 2019. Commenter said he is still fighting to get his license back, yet Trevor was granted a temporary license at the one-year mark. One commenter said the following, 
The fact that Trevor gets his license back after intentionally crashing his plane and then lying about it, but Trent Palmer is still fighting the FAA over a safety pass is crazy to me. The FAA needs a serious overhaul. All right, for his part, Trevor's attorney said that Trevor does regret the stunt. They said he planned the whole video crash scenario when he was in a lonely place due to COVID lockdowns. His lawyer said he understands his bad choices and he is learning from his mistakes. Now, the location of where Trevor will be serving his six months has not been published, but it will most likely be in a federal prison in California. And we can finish with this boys behaving badly story out of Texas. It was just another night participating in middle America pastimes, high school sports. You guys, the amount of time I spent in gymnasiums and football fields for my kids is in the thousands of hours. And for me, those memories are so cherished. But for one family in Conroy, Texas, the memories are now tainted. See, last week, Willis High School was visiting Conroy High School in a crosstown boys basketball game. Willis team member Jevin Allen didn't get the best sportsmanship award that night. Authorities say Jevin was benched by his coach for his behavior towards a Conroy high player. And I would expect a hot-headed teen boy to not be so thrilled with his coach over that decision. That's just how it works. But when the coach returned to his high school following the game, 17-year-old Jevin and his 22-year-old brother Jarek and other family members were waiting for the coach in the school parking lot. According to law enforcement, family members confronted the coach, and that's when a tussle ensued. Allegedly, Jevin was the first to throw a punch that landed in the face of the basketball coach. Then Jarek apparently jumped in, and the two allegedly began pummeling their victim until another coach and a few bystanders broke up the attack. Witnesses told law enforcement that the two brothers then took off running. But you guys, there's cameras. And after deputies reviewed the footage, and they also spoke to witnesses, the two were arrested and charged with assault on a public servant. They were released from jail after posting a $23,000 bond. Now, the coach is recovering from his injuries to his head, neck, face, and arms. But the skirmish led to the district looking closer at Jevin, and they realized he had moved out of district boundaries, but he had kept attending the high school. He has now been withdrawn from Willis High. The district also, in a statement, said they will not tolerate this behavior from any enrolled student. That's one surefire way of losing your starting position. Well, that's your Thursday episode of Rise and Crime. Please keep sending me your case suggestions. I love it. And before you leave, could you hit that like button if you're listening on YouTube, or you could even give Rise and Crime a follow, or even better, subscribe for downloads. And thanks for being here with me. Join me again on Monday for more morning crime news. I'm Mama Jules, and keep safe out there.